content warning. This podcast contains description of murder, discussion on mass murder and terrorism, strong language, and discussion of discrimination against transgender individuals. Listener discretion is advised. What do you get when you mix Harvard, homemade bombs, and a deep-seated fear of technological advancement? A serial killer, or an oversimplification. This is the story of a Harvard graduate, a serial bomber, and the audience that watched him. His name is Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. I'm Jim Williams. And I'm Maya Wilson. And this is The Man, The Myth, and The Manifesto. There's never one single reason someone chooses to join a terrorist movement. Like Graham Macklin, Joshua Farrell Malloy is a researcher who investigates how extremist and fascist ideas are spread. Their piece for the International Center for Counterterrorism focuses on ecofascism, a particular branch of extremism that borrows from many of the manifesto's central conceits. It's centered on anti-modernity, glorification of violence, returning to and protecting wild nature, and accelerationism, which is an extremist framework centered on hastening societal collapse. Macklin and Pharrell Malloy map these horrific cascades of violent ideology from the Buffalo, New York shooting in 2022 to the New Zealand Christchurch shooting of mosques in 2020 and the Adam Waffen terrorist group, who regularly correspond with Kaczynski. Looking at some of the far-right and eco-extremist groups of the past 20 years, there's a peculiar commonality, the Unabomber Manifesto. I think my sort of first sort of impression was one of surprise. That's Beryl Malloy, the extremism researcher. Several decades later to sort of like see his face pop up to be lauded as kind of like a hero was kind of slightly perplexing, initially at least anyway. Ted effusively rejects the eco-fascists and accuses them of reading his work selectively. There's a sort of like a wider point about what the internet has done to politics. This would probably be something that would upset Ted. And even in the far right, you know, you are seeing a sort of breakdown of kind of like coherent ideology, many of them in sort of contradictory. And again, they can sort of almost assemble their own kind of ideology from sort of the internet, even if it's just using memes. We can see how Ted's ideas from his manifesto have been adopted and subsequently adapted by different groups. They do this easily. Many of its points are now commonly held beliefs, anxiety over our growing dependence on technology, or disgust at the damage it's done to the environment. And in the era of cut, copy, and paste, it allows people to take things out of context more easily. Benson credits Kaczynski's relatability as one of the things that drew him into the story. And I kept hearing things that sort of sounded like the Unabomber out of the mouths of people who weren't violent at all, but who were really concerned about climate change or, you know, the escalating powers of artificial intelligence. These concerns leave many people with an urge to do something. It was this feeling of helplessness that people have in the face of these big problems. Do you radically change your life? Do you write to Congress? Do you join a kind of movement to get incremental changes made? And I think there is this temptation of like, well, we should just go to war or something. And here was a guy who kind of like, as a you know, one one man sort of appointed himself uh, the 
like the army in his in his own sort of personal war. But this begs the question: What is the defining line between a violent activist and a terrorist? According to Benson, it's subjective. One person's revolutionary is another person's terrorist is another person's murderer. As Mick Grogan, producer of the Netflix documentary Unabomber, in his own words, puts it, Ted is not box office. He's not handsome. He's no Bundy. This is a recurring sentiment. Throughout our conversation, Graham, the former publisher of the Washington Post, was unconvinced that we needed to revisit the Unabomber story. I've seen a lot of news stories at the Washington Post, and I would say, you know, I can reel off... 20 or 30, the people remember much more vividly, more books have been written about, more movies have been made about than, than the Unabomber. Even Ted himself, in a previously unpublished letter from 2017, wrote, My bombing campaign ended 22 years ago. My trial was completed 19 years ago. Yet all through the intervening years, over and over and over again, ad nauseum, the media keep putting on these programs about me. Why? We keep coming back to the Unabomber. Both Jamie Gehring's book and Eric Benson's podcast were released just last year. These podcasts, articles, documentaries, and dramatizations continue to find an audience. Why are people still drawn to this story? According to an article published by Rasmussen University, there are four primary reasons people are drawn to true crime stories. The desire to indulge in morbid curiosity, seek justice, cheap thrills, or increase our own vigilance against attack. It's also worth noting that the FBI opened a tip line after the manifesto was published, and in the following weeks, it was flooded with callers who thought they had leads on the Unabomber. Who was calling? By and large, women. Who'd they point the finger at? their ex-boyfriends. With the true crime industry. That's Jamie Gehring, the little girl who grew up next to Ted. So many people are interested, especially women, because we, we want to understand. We want to like feel empowered because we, we are trying to understand what's created this person. And so I think there's, there's still value in that, but really like the glorifying of these killers and the sensationalism around it is hard to handle. The decision to publish the manifesto was not taken lightly. People, some of the most powerful people in the country, talked about the consequences for months. To say it was carefully weighed is an understatement. But then compare that to how freely his ideology has been proliferated in books, movies, articles, and podcasts. So why are people drawn to Ted? According to Brian Denson, author of the book FBI Files, The Unabomber, there's something intriguing about the idea of a lone man going to great lengths for the sake of an agenda. And he's a, I mean, he's a terribly interesting character, you know, villainous. He affirmed that the public was fascinated with Kaczynski, not despite, but because of his crimes. His high intelligence didn't hurt either. Here was a guy who was very methodical, obviously a genius. Kaczynski was notorious for slipping the FBI. 
He signed his letters with false initials. He connected the receiving and return addresses of one of his mail bombs to an unlucky Dungeons and Dragons enthusiast who would go on to become one of the FBI's top suspects. He even made his own nails, so there was no chance the FBI could trace the bomb debris to his local hardware store. At the heart of all this, the public is intrigued by how someone with so much potential could do so much evil. It was one of Benson's main reasons for creating his podcast. And I just wanted to kind of describe all the things that happened to him through his recollections and David's to sort of figure out what that journey was for him from a kind of guy who was really talented, had a lot to, I think, had a lot to give, but then went through this journey that got increasingly dark to the point where, you know, he became a murderer. Our producer is Frank Zoe. Our editors are Amber Levis, Ayo Gilman, and Frank Zoe. Our fact checker is Sammy Dugasani. Original score by Benji Walfang. Other editors assisting in the production of this podcast were managing editor Brandon Kingdollar and associate managing editor Mei Mei Zhu. With help from Joey Huang, Gina Cho, Zadina Akwai, and Charles Fishman. With special thanks to Joey Huang. All recordings of New York Times headlines and Ted Kaczynski's writings are recreations, not original recordings. Sound effects in this episode come from freesound.org.